We are jumping in as we're focusing on the concept of rooted and the hope of the gospel in 2020 vision. Uh, we are diving in uh, into a five-week series on Galatians 5 called Freedom. And each week we're going to talk about, through Galatians 5, we're going to walk through that chapter and that text in the context to be able to say what areas are free, what areas are part of Christian freedom, all right? And so this week, we're going to start it with free in Christ. Amen. We're going to get into free in Christ. So let's go ahead and stand, read God's word together. Galatians chapter 5. So 1 through 6. 1, 2, 3. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yes. yourselves circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Mm, amen. Faith working through love. Spiritual tattoo for today's a life rooted in true freedom will display the transforming love of God. A life rooted in true freedom will display the transforming love of God. Father, as we dive into your word, make it clear to us. Uh, may every meditation of my heart and word of my mouth be pleasing unto you. Give me the grace, Holy Spirit, to make this word clear. Give us the grace to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to start this with, uh, with one of Kanye's song on his Jesus is King album, uh, Hands On. So I want you guys to look at this, listen to the song uh, as we dive in and begin to see what he's talking about. And Andrew has some of the words on the part uh, that we want to look at. So let's go ahead and play that real quick. So, y'all, I know y'all heard that song. I think it's real interesting. I want to do a little brief little commentary. This part is real interesting. But if I try to lead you to Jesus, we get called halfway believers. The thing that's interesting is when, when Kanye came out with his conversion, and you started to see some stuff, like when he did the interview uh, on Apple TV, and you're like, man, like, wow, like, the way he's talking is real interesting because there's like in that first part of the segment, there was like there, there was fruit of repentance. Right. And so it's interesting seeing that. But here's the thing about this. It's almost as if like when he had that experience, what did we do? We began to become suspect. Is it real? Is he, is he really a believer? Is he for real? For real? Is he a believer? And, it, and I think it's, it's, it's worth asking and exploring why is it that so many of us Christians, when he makes a profession and you start seeing some fruit, start saying, hold up, we don't know if you're saved yet. Now, I'm not saying that this is not a call to do fruit inspection. We have to do fruit inspection as a part of life. But I think part of it is that we had to do some of our own fruit inspection into asking, why was that many of our first step forward? It's almost as we say, like, um, it's as if we said, that's cool, but we won't accept you until you prove yourself. It, it's, uh, it's so similar to what the early church felt about Saul and his conversion when he was out killing, headhunting Christians, and Jesus got him, knocked him off his horse, changed his life, 
and now he has a past reputation, but God had done something so, so drastically different. But here's the thing. They also were asking, and the early church said, we won't accept you until you prove yourself. Right? It's interesting. What, what we're saying is that, in some degree, faith in Jesus is not enough. You still need to live up to something we functionally think is necessary for you to really belong to God and his people. In other words, we take our own standards and say, you aren't full believers yet. You're halfway believers. Right? And so, okay, so where is this coming? He says, unless you live up to my expectations. Now, here's the thing. This leads to the lament and angst of, I can't do enough to prove myself according to your standards. And what happens is we're not sharing the gospel. We're not putting the gospel on display. And so there's this lament that says it's, it leads to tiredness. I can't prove myself enough, and I'm tired. And the thing is, it's like the question is, well, why is there tired? Well, Jesus says in the gospel, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So if there's a sense of saying, I'm tired, something's happening that's not rooted in freedom. Something is not rooted. And so, so what happens is that um, the problem is our expectations aren't always rooted in freedom. See, here's the thing. Only free people can create a community of freedom for discipleship. Where we aren't standing in freedom, we will create an unhealthy cancel culture in the church. Y'all know cancel culture? It's interesting. It's, it's, it's cancel culture if you look at the root of it because this has invaded the church and we got to look at it. At its core, cancel culture, and we'll it, it describe that. Many of y'all know what I'm talking about. When I say cancel culture, who knows what I'm talking about? Okay. Y'all, okay. It's all over us, right? So let's look at kind of some of the origin of cancel culture and how, how we I I interface with it. See, at the core of cancel culture, supposedly what, what we look at was sparked around the concept of Nino's character in New Jack City. Okay, I'm not endorsing the movie, but what I'm saying, this is where it's founded. If you see New Jack City, Nino's character sparked this, and then Love and Hip Hop in 2014, and again in Lil Wayne's album in 2015, referenced Nino's way of addressing your canceled. All right, does this make sense? So that's the background if you're interested in, in, in all that kind of stuff. But here's the thing about it. The concept of that comes from this background of you're annoying me, disrespecting me, and getting in my way, we're at the core of canceling people, right? You're disrespecting me. You're getting in my way. I'm going to cancel you. So what can, be good, what, what can be good used for good in holding people accountable today? Sometimes cancel culture has been effective and pushing forth just dynamics, right? But what can be used for good is also unmerciful and taught us to stay within perceived ways of thinking that create identities. And if you don't stay in those categories and use the appropriate rhetoric, then you're canceled with the hope that it'll ruin you. Y'all experience being canceled by people in your life? The culture, 2019 was the year of canceling people. Think about the number of people that were canceled, canceled culturally. Some good, some crazy, but at the root of it, cancellation is saying, I'm going to get you in an unmerciful way so that you don't, you don't have hope of restoration. That's the root of cancel culture. So here's the thing. When our definition of freedom is in something other than faith, which we'll talk about, then we create communities of faith 
um, that saying you need to live up to my external standards, my language, my cultural expression, and many other things in order to really belong to God and this community. If you don't live up to my external expectations, you can't belong to God and you can't belong to this community. Okay? So here's the thing about this. This is why, if you think about this, this is why racism and classism, among other isms, are gospel issues. The big question is like, well, is, is racism a gospel issue? Yes. And here's why. Because, because, here's what, because it attacks the heart of the gospel identity and forming a community of gospel freedom because it says, if you don't look like me, act like me, do this, you're not at, you can't be on par with God's people. You understand? Does that make sense? It's a gospel issue because when it defines how we live our life and we stay complicit with it, which in America is hooting with pain and we repent of even why, it's all, they, they, when we stay complicit with things that aren't there, the indication of that deeper down is there's not gospel freedom. Why? My freedom is associated with an external cultural expression, which isn't bad necessarily. But if that becomes my, my justification to be right with God and others, that's when cancel culture clicks in. Because if you don't fit into what I have assumed my identity to be, I'm going to cancel you. It's very interesting why we have to engage these, because still in our city, our city, people look at, like when you look at L.A., let me get some people, if you went from L.A., tell me, tell me, do you see L.A. as diverse when you watch it on TV and different things? Yeah? For the most part? Say, yo, LA's good. Like for us in an interracial marriage, we're like, yo, we can go. It's kind of like LA, especially Long Beach. But, but it's interesting because when you come to LA, there's a reason why the cry during the rights was like, was during the Rodney King's time, can't we all just get along? And the issue is, is if the church is not rooted in gospel freedom, we can't lead the way to say, yes, we can. But the problem is, if we don't repent and address the things that are beneath that, in which we have a student identity, we won't get along. Because we will perpetuate a cancel culture mentality. If you don't speak like me, think like me, do everything right here, there's no way you can be fully a believer. And therefore, you don't fully fit into this church. Does that make sense? You don't fully fit into this particular area. Redlining is a history. Yeah, you don't fit into this area. This goes across the board in our city. And to ignore this is to ignore what we need to build a foundation as a church plant to address. Make sense? Y'all tracking? All right. I need some amens if y'all tracking. All right? Okay. Thank you. So here's the thing about this. So whether we want to admit it or not, uh, this dynamic has entered into the church and we have been bewitched, as Paul says to the church in Galatians. We've been cast under a spell to talk about a gospel that we have not let actually define our freedom. And we're complicit with cancel culture. And we look the same as our city does because we haven't dealt with the issues that are before us. And so this is where, this is what's going on in the church in Galatia. Let's go into Galatians now. They were tempted, this church, this early church, was tempted to go back to their own version of cancel culture and bondage, and Paul is addressing them. 
Y'all ready? Y'all probably didn't think about Galatians from a cancel culture perspective before, have you? Or maybe you have, but it's in there. So let's dive in. All right, so the area to which Paul wrote this letter was to the southern area of Galatia, to the new churches he planted during his first missionary journey, okay? So they came to Christ from pagan and Gentile. Gentile simply means non-Jewish, didn't have the law, backgrounds. It was clear that they had received the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus, which signified that they were children of God, right? Not their ability to obey the law, but the Spirit of God came upon them throughout the book of Acts. Heirs according to the promise God made to Abraham. As they were learning this, Watch this. There were some Jewish believers, certain sect of Jewish believers, called the Shemai believers, right? That those communities came to Christ. And here's what. They, after Paul planted the church and dipped out, here's what they're doing. They're coming in, and, and, and they're saying to these young churches, they began to tell them they weren't full believers until they were circumcised and followed the law of Moses. You're not, you have to rely upon the law of Moses. You better keep every one of those 613 commands in order for you to be righteous. That sounds depressing, huh? But that's, that's what they said. Say, no, 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 it's not enough what you experience, the faith in Jesus. You better add on the law in order to be a full believer, in order to have full fellowship with us at the table with the king. That's what they're saying. This was before the church clarified the gospel meant to both Jews and Gentiles in Acts 15. So you can imagine the tension there. You can imagine the tension going back and forth about, well, what does this mean? Do we have to, well, circumcision this, and how do we make sense of this? And Paul's like, hold on, i got to begin to clarify this. You've got to understand the background of these guys that crept in to teach this in order to understand why they would come in to promote cancel culture. Here, watch this. In those days... Christianity was just the time where Messiah came, but would emphasize people still following Torah. Okay? So Christianity came, walk with Jesus, but you still got to follow Torah. Okay? Or Torah, the law, Genesis, you know, the first five books of the Bible. If the church didn't embrace being Jewish the way zealous Judeans saw it, they might go through persecution from those zealous Judeans. To become proper converts would spare the Jerusalem church and the individual from more persecution. If you just gave in to rely on the law plus Jesus, man, you got the best of both worlds. That's what they said. If you just give in and compromise this and go to the law, you'll, 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 you'll be able to say that you walk with Jesus as Mashiach and Messiah, but you're still going to, you know, and then you avoid persecution. And Paul's like, hold up, there's something utterly wrong with that. So, so that's one thing. But here's the other thing. Former pagan Galatian converts wouldn't fit into the category of pagan or Jew of the normal Roman civic cults. In other words, back in those days, you had the Roman civic cult, which was your pagan. You worship the, the emperor. You have all the gods that you ascribe to. That's one category. The other category, uh, King Herod was able to compromise his category. And the Jews were like, dude, we ain't ever going to sacrifice to you, emperor. But we'll sacrifice for you. He says, bet. Okay. So we create this other category that Jews were another category. Okay. Jews were, so you, you were either this category, pagan category, or you were in the Jewish category. Now, when Christians come on the scene... They don't fit in. They don't fit into one of those categories. And, and honestly, it messes up with the Jews because the Jews are like, no, man, you're tripping because you said do 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 And the Jews are like going at them. But then the pagans are saying, you're the one why we're all messed up because you don't worship all these gods, and so you're atheistic. That's what they called the Christians. So Christians didn't have a, categ a political category. Here's the thing. 
the pressure on both sides was to say, if you fit into a category, it'll be easier for you. If you fit into a category, one of those, you will live your life and you will not suffer the dynamics of cancel culture. Why? Because you fit into those ideologies. And he's saying, hold up. The minute that I dive into one of those, I become complicit with creating a culture of cancel culture. So it makes you wonder practically about what are we doing today in the church? I, that, this is not really part of this, but it is. What are we doing? Where are we pressured to give in to cancel culture as the church at large? If I, if I align with this particular political group, then I won't get cancel culture from someone that I'm trying to reach. But if I align with this political group, then I advance a form of freedom that I think is freedom. But here's the thing. Both areas and definitions of freedom, if you live only in one camp to avoid the cancel culture dynamic, you have given away the freedom of the gospel. And you now are allowing the culture to determine what freedom is. Does this make sense? This is not easy, huh? We're going here. Here's the thing. Look at this. The church was tempted and many fell for this lie and the cancel culture began to cultivate in the church. So Paul steps to the church in Galatia. And here's the thing. Paul writes with great fervor and directness in this book. I've got to set some context as we're going through chapter 5. He writes with great fervor and directness to speak the truth regardless of where it left him in relation to people. Did you catch that? Paul says, if I was still trying to please people, I wouldn't be preaching about circumcision. Does that make sense? Like, he would not be preaching circumcision if he tried to please people. Paul's like, I'm at the place where I don't care where you put me. I don't care how you cancel me because I'm passionate for the church to be a distinct place of freedom that comprehensively leads the culture and what freedom is supposed to look like from all vantage points. And he says, we, if we don't get at the roots of what this is all about, we won't be a community that reflects proper freedom to a culture in bondage. And so here is the thing. He says he wasn't trying to please people. He says, look, church, I'm trying to handle God's good news properly. He's saying, I, I, I'm, I've been charged and will be held accountable to the gospel that I preach. And so he's saying, I'm not trying to please people because then I wouldn't be obeying God. I'm trying to please God, and in and, and, and stewarding the gospel, he says, so that people can experience freedom in the church among a diverse group of people with different cultural expressions. You put a whole bunch of people, Jew, Gentile, you put all different backgrounds together in the same room, and all of a sudden you've got to wrestle with this. What is freedom? What does it look like to see comprehensive freedom through the church, experienced in our city? What does that, that's why we lament and we pray as Hunja was praying for oppression and injustice, right? And we, we look at the issues at hand and we want to be a community that's repenting and that's dealing with this and serving one another. And, it, and he goes down and says, because with cult, different cultural expressions, the tendency is going to say, if you don't do it just like me, you don't really for real, for real belong. Wait, hold on, you're not wearing this? Oh, no, you can't be on that board. <laughs> you can't come in here. 
You can't do this. That's why I value traditional dynamics, but y'all are like, why are you wearing it offended when you preach? One, I love hats, and I get skin cancer easy, so I wear them outside, so I block myself from that, right? But because I want to look and say, look, we want to honor dynamics, but we want to create a place where someone can walk in and say, yo, they got a suit on? Oh, that's, wait, hold on, he got, he got flip-flops, and he got some J's on with shorts, and wait, he got a fitted on? Like, wait, he's mixed up with like a blazer, and and, and ripped jeans. Like, I want people to come in and be like, oh, there's a place for me. Why? Because belonging and acceptance cannot just be based on if you look a certain way, then you're accepted. Does that make sense? So he's, he's looking at these kind of things, and he's saying, look, the, the reality is, is, in fact, it is when we look at, he comes in and lays out the reality that the Torah itself never says that it can make somebody righteous. That's important. Some people go around saying, like, you've got to rely on Torah. All y'all Christians, y'all, like, did away with Torah, right? And, and, and yeah, yeah, you need Jesus, but Jesus didn't. You know, and we're going to talk about fulfilled down in, in the Beatitudes, all right? Y'all ready? We're going to talk about how Jesus fulfilled the law, okay? We're going to go there in the Beatitudes this year. But people saying, like, yo, like, um, Jesus fulfilled the law, but that doesn't mean that you're not obligated to obey it. Have y'all heard that before? So what do we do with the Old Testament law, Torah, Tanakh, and with Jesus fulfilling it? We're going to go there. But the, he starts off with saying, look, y'all are at the place where, where he's saying, they're coming in and saying, you've got to ascribe the law. He says, hold up, hold up, hold up. They don't know how to use the law. The law that they want to rely upon was given after the promise God made with Abraham. The promise was to Abraham's seed. And it's through the seed that the nations would become a part of God's people. Don't lose me. We're going somewhere with this. The seed is what would be, uh, allow people to, to participate in the promise of being God's people and growing in godliness. Got it? Makes sense? He says, so look at The promise was there. The law was given afterwards. The law doesn't do away with the promise. What the law did, a couple things, the law was like a pedagogue. In other words, like this. If you're an eight-year-old and, and both your parents pass away and they have a great inheritance, you're not in a position to take it yet. So someone takes that like a trust and begins to keep it, help cultivate it, help to teach you so that you're in a place of gaining that inheritance. Make sense? The inheritance was based on a promise not what you did as an eight-year-old. So he said, look, look, here's the thing. That was given for a specific purpose. It was to get you ready. So when the promise came, Jesus, you would be ready. It served a purpose. But even the law did not say it would justify you. That's why he quotes in Galatians, Abraham believed God in what? Crowned in his righteousness. He says, even the law that you're relying on, the law itself says it doesn't justify you. It's temporary. It's there for a purpose, to lead to the promise. Are you tracking? That's important for apologetics, but it's also important to understand when we're talking about freedom. Okay? So he goes down, and he says the context. See, the church was tempted to run back to the same kind of bondage from which Jesus delivered them. Are we tracking? This is background for Galatians 5. Okay, as we track through this. So here's the thing. The text before our text, uh, the, the context before today is how they are all children of the promise. So why would they go back to bondage? 
He's exposing how the council culture is merely an indication that they were moving away from experiencing true freedom. He says, hold up, you're displaying cancel culture. That means you're moving away from freedom. Got it? All right, so let's get in. He says three simple points here. He freed you to live in freedom. He says, guys, in order to address cancel culture that has crept into church, he frees you specifically to live in freedom. Look what he says in verse 1. For freedom, Christ set us free. For what? For freedom. For freedom, Christ set us free. Not for bondage, for freedom. He set us free. He says, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Here's what he says. He said, look, look, church in Galatia, you're set free in Christ to be free. In other words, Paul's been making the case that your freedom comes by faith in the Messiah, Jesus. It doesn't come through these other things. Simply put, your freedom comes through faith in Jesus, the promised seed. You tracking with Galatians? Your freedom comes through faith in the promised seed, Jesus, Yeshua Mashiach, the Jesus, the Messiah, okay? Your freedom to be God's people, loving him and others from a place of complete acceptance doesn't come from your ability to follow every command, right? It doesn't come from your ability to follow every command. It doesn't come from your ability to follow every family expectation, every cultural expectation, every relational expectation, every expectation media places on you, every even unfreedom, bondage, religious expectation. That's not what, what is. He says, look, your freedom comes through faith in Jesus. It's so simple, but it's so profound. Because how often we run to these other things and say, but this is my freedom. This is my purpose. This is my freedom. If I could just get someone to think exactly like me right away, then I'll be good. Then they'll fit in. Then we'll be cool. And we're in a day of age with conflict. Uh, 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 I'm tripping now. Uh, cancel culture. <laughs> we're living in a day that we have a hard time talking with people that disagree with us and staying in the conversation long enough. If you're like me, you do. Amen. And so even these things impact when we're having a hard time sticking in for hours and listening. Or it might even be five minutes, someone on the block you walk by, someone at your job. Whatever it is, it's, 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 it's why is it so hard? And, and it's for all of us to say, God, am I living in freedom right now? Am, am, I, am I believing that my acceptance comes from faith in Christ? See, he says, your full belonging is not to be answered in how well you can follow the law or how Jewish you become. Did you catch that? In their days, it was, how Jewish can you become? It's not a knock on the Jewish community. It's a knock on the religious ideals of saying, for that particular set, you're saying, you have to become functionally Jewish and do everything we do in order for you to belong and be accepted. Right? You can come, uh, but are you in the Messiah? That's the question is that the question is, are you in the Messiah? That's the thing that freedom asks. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Is it in him and him alone whereby we are God's people? He said, this is the foundation of your acceptance in God into one another. It's, a free, it's freedom in something that, you, that will finally not let you down. It's freedom in something that is the greatest news. And so here's the application. He says, look, stop trying to be somebody that the Lord has not created you to be. What are you lying? 
When Jesus recreated you, based on Ephesians 2, he created you for specific things. But he created you in Christ Jesus. That's what the Father, he created you in Christ Jesus to do what he wants you to do. Right? And so the thing is, it's like, stop trying to be someone else. When Jesus gets a hold of you, he wants you to be the best version of you that Jesus is changing. Does that make sense? How many have a hard time embracing the fact that the way God created you is exactly the way he wanted to create you? <laughs> I have. I've struggled with that for years. And so in, a, in, in who we are, we struggle with this dynamic. I'm never good enough. Hey, we hear messages all the time that shape our expectations of what we need to do in order for our parents or our family to accept us. And here's the thing. You transpose that. You superimpose that on Jesus. And all of a sudden you're saying, God, if I don't do X, Y, Z, you won't accept me. That's not the gospel. You have functionally went into bondage again. And every day it's a battle to believe that your freedom is not in how well you perform. Your freedom is not in how you look. Your freedom is not, can I be like that person? Your freedom is in faith in Jesus. Isn't that so simple but so profound for us that we have to reflect on every single day of our life? And he says, here's another thing. If you, you're free from the bondage of taking an identity in something that is going to fail you, it will end up hurting you, letting you down. It won't save you. In fact, like the Torah and the Tanakh, it was never intended to save you. It was for a purpose. It wasn't bad. It was good. The problem is our messed up flesh will distort it, right? And take it to become a God identity for us. And God's like, you're tripping. I love you. Look to Jesus, right? Here's the thing. This is not only important for your freedom, and a gospel-rich culture, but it's also for what God is doing in preserving the gospel for the nations. Can you imagine? No, you don't have to imagine. Think about the witness of the church when we were complicit with cancel culture, before cancel culture was even created. Before it was a thing, think about what witness of the church, if people come through the doors... And they trust Jesus. And we're saying, well, you're not a full believer yet. We don't want to give a false security. We want to say root, the fruit needs to be an indication of the root. That will show over time. But when it comes to saying, it's, it's faith in Jesus that's saved. So if someone comes in and they're saying, well, I'm not dressed appropriately. If they trust Jesus and they come in there smoking weed and they trust Jesus that day and they're still working through that, what do we say to them? Do we have enough time to sit down and listen? Like, yo, man, I praise God, homie. Like, let's talk about this. Hey, what's behind it? Why are you going to weed all the time? You don't ask that at that moment, but you know what I'm saying? That's the question. Does this make sense? Like, how are we put off? And then we're complicit, and we stay in our categories, and we don't deal with the underlying issues that have become our identities that we have then said, you don't fit in. Right? That, and there's a lot of conversations on that that we can get into that. But, but it's important to say, in order to preserve and be a, a free in Christ church, we got to ask, are we, as the foundations of this church plan, are we resting in faith in Jesus to be our identity? 
or else the hard conversations we will have to have, we will not stick with one another. Because you're like, oh, you're threatening my identity because you're not saying it the way that I would have wanted to say it. We all wrestle with that, me included. So he gets in and he says, so, so the thing is, it's, it's, it's important for us to understand this, to preserve the gospel for the nations. It's, it's, he is passionate about preserving gospel purity that redeems nations that are all around us, in our city, in our community, without the pressure of cultural imperialism or assimilation. Does that seem impossible? To go into a diverse setting and it not be swimming with ranch dressing? not be swimming with another dressing, right? Like, it's almost like you go in and it's like, well, I feel like I have to culturally assimilate. Kingdom culture, Philippians 2, consider others as more significant than yourself. That's discipleship. So the culture in which you are to assimilate is kingdom values that we will talk about later on, the indication of the fruit of the Spirit. Not if you're circumcised or not. Tracking? So it's important for us to begin to engage that. And he says, it's also important because it is, it is the only means of acceptance that allows us to deal with the depth of brokenness without running. Why do we run when God begins to get stuff up in our soul? Why do you run? Is it because for so long that area has become your coping mechanism to give you an identity? And the minute that God begins to zoop, you're like, well, hold up. You're not going there, Lord. That's who I am. He said, no, 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 no. That's not who you are. You're my child if, if through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he begins to redeem and says, dude, that's a dope cultural expression. You need to, see, you need to put that on display in the church. You need to do this. You need, and all of a sudden, a church based on freedom actually begins to express a wide variety of redeemed cultural expressions to the glory of the king. So people come in, they're like, wait, that, I didn't grow up with that. Others are coming in, they, they switch it up and do this. Wait, I didn't, grow, I didn't grow on that. And because the thing is, it's always challenging when God begins to utilize diversity to make us deal with the sin of the past and the present and also make us uncomfortable to say, don't rest in that being your identity. Jesus needs to be yours. Are we tracking? I know I'm just laying a lot of foundation work here. I almost want to ask if you all have any questions. Y'all tracking with this? This is so important for us to go into those hard conversations. But then he says, he says, be careful, stand in freedom, because stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. He says, look, all these temptations and ways of identifying who you are and if you are acceptable to God and others, Paul then says, stand firm in this freedom. Don't submit again to that bondage. Don't submit again to that bondage. He says, be careful. Stand in this freedom, Galatians. Because that stuff can't save you. The outcome of that bondage that they're telling you you need to do to have freedom, it can't transform you. It can't change the things that we wrestle with and that we war with. It doesn't change. Faith in Christ does build that foundation. I want to do a little illustration here, um, if you'll bear, bear with me. We got that queued up there. Um, excuse the language, Morgan Freeman, that says piss instead of urinated. Are you okay with that? All right, just, I know I want to be sensitive to that. But I want you to, if you all seen Shawshank Redemption? All right, so check this scene out real quick with Shawshank. So how many of y'all can identify with Morgan Freeman's character? You've been so bound in so many ways that you thought was normal. 
And the freedom of the gospel gives you a glimpse. But you're scared to death. You're scared to death. And, and, and Paul is like Morgan Freeman talks about, about the concept of the promise. Sometimes it's just God is like saying, I'm bringing you back to the promise. Because bondage never believes in the promise. Bondage has to stay in other things. And I think this is a, this is a very potent reality for us is our, tend, our tendency. We get a glimpse of Jesus. We get a glimpse of the freedom he gives us and forgiveness and acceptance and love and peace and joy. And then all of a sudden someone comes and begins to bring up something that says, well, that's not enough. Jesus is not enough. You, you, you need to start engaging something else that may not be a bad thing, but the minute you add it to Jesus, it becomes a God idolatrous thing, and it will not work. In fact, it pushes you away from Jesus. And every day you think about, is Jesus enough? I think I need to go back to bondage because that felt more familiar. Jesus is saying, I got so much more for you. I want you to experience it. When we don't stand firm in this freedom, we're prone to go back to what feels normal about bondage, and we create a culture where isolation and fear exists. Here's the thing, we begin to think like this. If I share this part of my life, when they, then they won't accept me anymore. If I serve here and don't perform well, then they will label me as someone who doesn't have that gift. If I mess up, then there goes my chances to grow in that area because I will be put in a box or in another area. To submit, to submit again to a yoke of bondage was a huge negative ramification for the church because the church wasn't, they, they weren't being the pillar and foundation of the truth. And they weren't, uh, the church must be, well, here's the thing. The church must be confident in our identity in Christ as a diverse church that has the values of the kingdom leaking through our cultural expressions so that we can speak into much of the cancel culture and not give into the fear of being rejected. As a church, we, uh, well, I'll announce that later on with Ann campaign. Um, but here's the thing. As a sociologist, Malcolm X was, a brilliant, was brilliant. Politics is we get ready to vote. They're two words of the same bird. Right? We have to discern the kingdom values in the different cultural clashes. And not be afraid to say, I'm going to speak up for rights from the board against police brutality. And I'm also going to speak up for the rights of those in the room. If I speak on this, you're like, oh, you're over there. If I speak on this, oh, you're over there. It's like, that's cancel culture, y'all. Do does that make sense? We, we have to be the, like the church was in the early days. It says, no, we, we're going to steward the gospel well. And, and that means we're going to have hard conversations, but we've got to be rooted in the freedom of the gospel that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But we need to press into him, not give into the fear, so we might put on display what the Lord is doing through his church in redemption. Unless we engage this need, we will end up experiencing the outcome of bondage. All right? So he goes like this. He says, the second point, to summarize this, he says, to embrace bondage is to embrace the outcome of bondage. Here's what he says. Here's what we're going through. He says, take notes. Pay attention, Paul says. Am I telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all? Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. If you're going to rely on the law, you better do the whole law. 
The fact is you can't do the whole law, so there's a curse on you, because the law was never intended to justify you, right? He's reiterating this. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You can't eat your cake and eat it. I mean, have your cake and eat it at the same time. He said, look, if you're going to add something, you rejected Jesus. You started to believe in another Jesus that is not the Jesus of faith. Not the Jesus of Nazareth of the Middle East, who says grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. That's a different Jesus. So he comes and he says, I'm telling you, if you go this route, you're going to experience the outcome. It's going to fail you. You cannot have it both ways. Because that doesn't promote the freedom of the gospel to a culture. He says, look, the act of circumcision in and of itself is not a problem. The problem is the value you attribute to circumcision. Culture is not the problem. It's the heart that's unredeemed that takes culture and expresses not the kingdom of God. And then we make a cultural expression, our identity and significance. This is why the dynamic of, of sexuality, and we're going to go there later on, is so important. Because there are culture, sexuality, gender, uh, list, you can list the whole names, and we'll do that one point here. They, 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 we ascribe them as our identity, and they justify us. We use certain things that are not bad things necessarily as justifying factors, and we confuse it. Make sense? And so he says, he says, look, in other words, he said, relying on something that was never intended to save you and give you standing with God and his people will always end up failing you and leave you unchanged and under the wrath of God. Like the Gentiles, we were never intended to take a cultural, take a cultural heritage for which we celebrate and make it our justification. This leads to a culture of fear, which leads to inauthentic isolation. When it becomes our justification, then anybody who cannot be like this has no chance to fully become a part of God's people. And it leads to fearful isolation. If I share this deep, dark sin of what I'm really struggling with, all of a sudden we ostracize and put people in a category. Well, you're, 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 it's a culture of fear. You're over there. You're those people over there. That's that language, right? And so instead of coming in and saying, you have faith in Jesus, let's walk. Let's walk together. And when they share their deepest, darkest secret, you remember identity doesn't come in that. It comes in Jesus, right? They're standing in with God and others. It's not based on that thing. It's based on the washing that Jesus does. Am I making sense? I'm saying this a lot because we hear other stuff a lot. Right? And it always ends up Ruining the witness of the church. We need to stop letting the culture pressure us into how we define our agenda and how we speak to things. It's time for the church to embrace the fact that in an increasing polarizing culture and world, we will not fit into one category. Isn't that crazy? Are we okay with that? If we are going to put freedom, let freedom ring the way that Jesus calls it, to loose the yoke of oppression, both spiritually and physically and tangibly, we have to get this in our souls. Here's a question. How are you interacting with cancel culture in relation to your brothers and sisters in the faith? 
How does this indicate an area of bondage that is hindering you from living in gospel freedom? All right? Cancel culture is only an indication that you're living in bondage somewhere. You don't believe that Jesus is enough for your justification, your acceptance, and your worth. Right? Something is there. To stick in bondage not only leads to destruction, but it also hinders us from experiencing what God has. And here's the thing. He finalizes this with, with this, 5 through 6. To embrace bondage is to miss out on what really matters. Because then we argue and we don't know how to deal with the stuff we have to deal with. And so we can never get to the point that God wants us to be because we're stuck on identities and things that Jesus says are good, but they can't be God saviors for you. So here's what he says. He says to embrace that, you've got to embrace what really matters. Look what he says. For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. We're not relying upon the law. We're waiting for the righteousness that is coming in Christ Jesus. We're waiting. We're eagerly anticipating. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplished anything. When you're in Jesus, all that circumcision, uncircumcision, it's not salvific. <laughs> it can't save you. So Paul says in Romans 14, the early church is like, well, if you honor this day of the Sabbath versus this day, don't argue over it because it doesn't save you. If you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. Feel free, get circumcised. Eat kosher, but it doesn't save you. Eat pig, but don't put pressure your Jewish brother or sister who is kosher to go and eat pig. Do you see what he's doing there? He's saying cultural expressions are free, but they don't save you. So learn, he says, what matters is not how well you can follow these things. Here's what he says. Look what matters. What matters is faith working through love. <laughs> Faith working through love. In other words, the way that you see your faith in action is the love that you show. Faith working through love. Notice you've got the triad, faith, hope, and love in this text. If you've seen that in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul uses that a lot. Faith, hope, and love. They are key marks of a maturing believer, okay, in the gospel. Rather, here's the thing. In the sphere of Jesus, those things don't mean either. Rather, it is righteousness that comes by faith through Jesus, the way that you see this work is through love. You begin to love one another, treat one another as if you were siblings in Jesus. My goodness, did you see that? You actually start treating one another in our vast, diverse, beautiful differences as if we're actually siblings. That means when I'm on my last nerve with that person, they're on my last nerve. You're going to hear me right now because you're going to get on each other's nerves. If we for real, for real do this as a church plant, you will get on each other's nerves. I know some of y'all already have. <laughs> but this is what he says, is the identity in Jesus says you're siblings now. And how you deal with that conflict puts the gospel on display or it shames the gospel. Are you more passionate about the gospel of faith in Jesus that gives you standing or a cultural expression that you take to be your fighting point? Crickets. <laughs> All right, does that make sense? And so here's what he says. He says, they will know you are Christians by my love. The way that the Lord loved Israel in Deuteronomy 7, 8 is not based on what they did, but based on he set his heart upon them. He says, 
you didn't do anything to be saved. If you remember that, that will influence how you love one another when you guys get on each other's nerves. Because you can imagine how many times we get on Jesus' nerves. How many times you get on God's nerves? Every day, every moment. But God's love says, I'm not going to treat you as your sins deserve. I'm going to treat you as what I did on my, what I laid on the son. I laid my wrath on the son so I might call you my son, my daughter. And since you're my son and daughter, you don't call the shots of your identity. I created you different. The only way you will fully experience those differences together is when you rest in my identity and then you learn from each other. Isn't that crazy? So what really matters is that we're loving one another in a way that puts Christ's everlasting love on display. That's, it's the kind of love that melts away all fear. There's so much fear about what people will say if I'm hanging out with this fellow believer or that fellow believer because they don't speak like me or talk like me. This kind of fear paralyzes us and Christ is calling us back to the true definition of freedom so that we can truly love from faith and put on display the love of Christ. Who's ready for that? Y'all ready for that? I'm telling y'all, it's going to be rugged. I'm sorry, I'm not going to guarantee you a house. I'm going to guarantee sanctification. I will be held accountable in how I teach God's word and be passionate for the gospel. I'm at the place where I'm like, I'm done trying to please people. I've let too many things that I know handicap me from simply saying what the text says. We got, does that make sense? Let's do what we say in L.A. It's time to ride or die with Jesus. Y'all ready? I'm sorry, like this is who I am, y'all. Like I'm passing to see revival and change in my heart because I'm a mess that Jesus is changing in our city and what God wants to do. It's a love that doesn't say be like me, but be like him. It doesn't demand others to understand everything I want you to say, but I'm willing to enter in and to listen. May God make us a redemptive community. I'm going to read this, this as our closing story here. In a recent article that came out, this, my boy Steve Ross, who leads up our diversity stuff uh, from our communities up in Ventura now, he posted this. And it was a white man who was going through transformation, and it began because his football players, his African-American football players, came in and took him alongside, took him to church, began to walk with him, disciple him. It began to show in the South his racism that was coming out. And, 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 and he began to be changed by the simple fact that Jesus got a hold of him through men that he was taught to hate. Look what he writes in this, in his, in his letter. He says, to my black brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. I may not have caused you particular, particularly pain, but I have caused pain. I participated in a lifestyle that sought your demise. I, I have looked down upon you and have hated you in my heart. I can't take that back. I, can't, I can tell you today that I love you because of Jesus and a few men who loved me. I can tell you that there is hope in Jesus for healing and reconciliation. God is on the move despite how I or others have treated you. I can't take back what I have done or thought, but I can commit to standing in the gap and locking arms with you for peace, justice, and mercy in the world. Here's what he says to my white brothers and sisters. We have all been formed by the manner in which we were raised. What we were 
what, uh, what we were and weren't taught, and the people we spend time with, uh, and the people we spend time with. Every human being has biases. That doesn't mean you are and were like me, but we all share the sinful tendency toward partiality. If you, ha if you haven't already, befriend someone who doesn't look like you. Don't seek their advice or go, go to them to argue. Become friends with them ethnically different than you, someone ethnically different than you. Begin to knit your heart to theirs through sharing life, family, and dreams. What you will find is that you will start to love what they love and hate what they hate. Did you hear that? Start being empathetic. It's the freedom of Jesus. Empathetic with the realities that we face every day. Even though you may, you, you may not have experienced what they have experienced, you will be able to see the world in some degree, I add to this thing, in some degree in their lens. Don't be afraid of this. This is how God reveals, uh, teaches us how to love and sometimes uses to reveal our sin. When we commit to love, Joy is on the other end. Father, as we jump into this freedom series, I just pray that you would free us from the shackles and bondage. I need freedom, Jesus. You've given it in Christ, and God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit today, 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 we would take a moment to pause and say, how have I been complicit with cancel culture. Where have I let a good cultural expression become an identity that caused me to push my brothers and sisters, my siblings away? Where has there been, I, I'm guilty of this, Lord, where has there been shame? Where has there been shame of, of doing life with those that don't quite fit into the mold. God, what would it look like? What would it look like for us to truly, in a very real, authentic way, be a place where you have a whole bunch of Jesus Christ lookalikes that display kingdom values through a vast array of diverse cultural expression? One of the reasons we confess, Lord, and we acknowledge, we don't want to be uh, beguiled by Satan's devices, but one way is, is he, if he can keep the church complicit with these things, there's an aspect of the witness of, of uh, Ephesians 3.10, you tell us that it's through the manifold wisdom of the church where different people come together and are bearing with one another in love and putting on display the fact that God took people that were enemies with you, Lord God, and with each other, and you made us one people. And that shows the territorial spirits that have sought to lead nations astray that they lost. One of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare, God, I pray, today, this year, is that we would lay aside and repent of taking good cultural expressions and sometimes even detrimental cultural expressions that began with the heart and say, Lord, we repent, and today we come to you, Jesus. If you're at a place where you just need some prayer, I want you to slip your hand up. If you just need prayer because God is just ripping some things out of your identity and it hurts and you want to go back 
like Morgan Freeman did. If you want some prayer, I just encourage you. Um, we're going to spend another minute. I know we're a little over, but as the foundation of the series, I want us to grasp this. If you need some prayer on that, I invite you to go back. Marissa's in the back. She's in the back. You can get some prayer. And today the Lord calls us to decide, today is the day to say no more complicitness with cancel culture. No more complicitness with what God is saying that doesn't identify you.